0: i yeah. yeah.
1: Are still listening to the nardwar the human serviette radio show and we have a caller on the line hello are you there caller i am here how's it going who are you my name is andrew morrison
2: and i play with the band called the jerry cans and we just arrived in this chaotic city of vancouver we're sort of a country boys trying to figure our way around this big city
1: who are the Jerry Cans right off the bat? Please introduce well, the Jerry Cans. The Jerry Cans
2: are uh, Jerry Cans Ichalu Yugut. We're the Jerry Cans from Iqaluit. Uh, Nunavut. We're a band that plays kind of folky, strange Inuktitut throat singing country, throw a bunch of words out there, music and uh dance music. And we've have are been on a little bit of a tour across Canada, venturing out of the Great White North into the Great Green South and We're very happy and excited to be in Vancouver for the Folk Festival.
1: On Sunday?
2: Yeah, Sunday and tomorrow.
1: What time tomorrow and what time Sunday, if people want to check you out? Do you know yet?
2: We play at 11.15 in the morning tomorrow, so that would be a bit of an early one. But we play... at about ten fifteen on uh, Sunday, closing down one of the stages, so that'll be super fun.
1: The Jerry Cans from Ecalowet, and to begin the Nardwuar to Human Serviette Radio Show, Andrew, this is Andrew from the Jerry Cans, right? Like, you really are the Jerry Cans, right?
2: I hope so. I hope I'm still in the band after this interview. <laughs> Just
1: How do you prove that you're from Iqaluit? Because to begin the Nardware to Human Serviette radio show, I played Surgeons of the Night, a band apparently from Iqaluit, and their cover of Patio Lanterns by Kim Mitchell. It says they're from Iqaluit. Do you know a punk band called Surgeons of the Night from Iqaluit?
2: I- I do not know them, but maybe there's a major underground, so underground music scene that I haven't heard of them. But it's a very, very small town, so I don't know. I don't know them.
1: Because it made me think, how do you really prove the from Iqaluit?
2: It's very good, because I'm a white guy, too, so it's even more complicated. My story does not check out, but it, I, I don't... Uh, I don't have the scars to prove it, but I'm true. It's I'm I'm pale enough to be from the north, so that's one way to prove it. But otherwise, I don't really know.
1: Because surgeons of the night on their band camp, they say Ikhaluit. So I was thinking, ah, they must know the Jerry cans, but you don't know them. So I guess it's, yes. you, it's a it's a it's a scene that underground. There are people that don't know the Jerry cans. I'm am I assuming I would, everybody knows the Jerry cans there? Yes, everybody
2: does. But I am, I might go out on a limb and say that other band isn't from Ikhaluit. But uh, who knows? Maybe we'll find out.
1: And right after that, I played Northern Haze, and they're from igloo kluk Yeah,
2: igloo yeah.
1: (laughs) Have you heard of Northern Haze? They're a metal band from 1977. Absolutely.
2: They are not only a metal band, they are the metal band in Nunavut, and they're still playing, and they're probably the hardest rocking band in all of Canada. They're so good, and they play... Uh, they are a major inspiration for all of the the young people metalheads up north. They're very cool guys.
1: And right after that, I followed up with a track from the Native North American compilation. Have you heard about this Native North American compilation put out on Light on the Attic Records?
2: Yes, I have. I have. I hear it's uh, it's awesome. It's I, awesome.
1: I played Sugluk with I didn't know Sugluk. On the yeah, Native North that's... American Compilation. Yeah, and you're it... doing great, Nardwa. You're, great. you're, you're halfway to fluency. <laughs> and we're going to be playing a track all about you, Andrew, learning how to speak the language, right?
2: Yes, yes. It's called Qadringituk, and it's about my... Uh, learning Inutituk has been one of the funnest, most insane, crazy, difficult things I've ever done as a white guy. And, uh, yeah, but it's still been definitely worth it. And I, of course, learned because my wife, Nancy, who's the throat singer in the band, Her father was a unilingual Inuktitut speaker. He didn't speak a word of English, only swear words. And uh, so to impress the in-laws, that was the major propeller for my Inuktitut learning. So this song is kind of about uh, why I do it, what we do, and kind of what we're all about.
1: What swear words did they have that we don't have in English?
2: They don't have very many ones. There's 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 not the pure... One, I think swear words are wonderful in English, but there's not that same kind of emphasis in Inuktitut, But he only knew uh, English swear words. In it's there's not so many. There's just sort of you senseless idiot. Tukhehangi. That's <laughs> that's the, uh, that's one of the more insults rather than swear words. They're more insults.
1: And he more was into insults. belly it's dancing English. too. He was into belly dancing.
2: Oh God, he loved to watch belly dancing. He was he, did, he didn't belly dance himself, but my goodness, he was uh, he was into it. Every morning at 4 a.m. before we go seal hunting, we turn on the Oprah Winfrey Network and watch some deli dancing.
1: Just for a little background, I'm speaking to Andrew from the Jerry Cans, playing the Vancouver Folk Music Festival this weekend. Iqaluit, where is it? Can you tell the people, in case they don't know, just a little background, like where it is? Like It is far away. You're in Vancouver now, Richmond, but where is it? How far have you come?
2: Vancouver, it's super far from Vancouver. I, I keep telling people, if you want, if you... Make your way to Montreal or Ottawa. If you somehow drive that way all the way across, it's take a left and go for 2,500 kilometers. It's way up there on Baffin Island. We had a polar bear in downtown Yukalevic yesterday and beluga whales right off the shore. So it's, uh, there's no trees, of course, and it, but it's quite a far away. I think Vancouver is literally across the country. Um, uh, very, very far away from home, but we're not doing too bad.
1: Can you take a boat to it or is it only airplane?
2: Only airplane. You can take a, every summer to to get all our supplies for the year. They sea lift everything up in big cargo ships. So you can take the boat up. Uh, very rarely, not many passengers take that. But you you fly mostly. It's all flying.
1: And I'm talking to you, Andrew, from the Jerry Cans, from Iqaluit, because of a mineral conference. Thanks to Nick, my buddy Nick, from the band of Transmiters and the Vicious Circles and the Smugglers. He was at a minerals conference. Please explain. How is this happening? A minerals conference has brought us together? A a
2: minerals conference, just like the prophecy spoke. That's exactly how it's supposed to be. No, he, uh, he was up there and he was by far the best and the worst dancer at the show. So we said, we have to get to know this guy. And uh, it was a a mining conference. And uh, as you can imagine, in a town of 7,000 people, performance opportunities are few and far between. So we always like to uh, take what we can to kind of get things moving. And so we were at this uh, conference and Nick was showing off his dance moves and we had a beer afterwards. And then he said, I know this guy named Ardwar and we all know you. And uh, so, yeah, we, we, it all came together.
1: So thank you, Minerals Conference. I never thought like a Minerals Conference would help set up guests for the Nardwa to Human Sofia Radio Show. But thank <laughs> yeah. you, Nick. And Nick's, So you noticed Nick's dancing first, and then you talked to him? Or did he talk to you, and then did he dance?
2: I think my wife noticed Nick's dance moves first. So uh, that that's how that went down. But yeah, I, we talked to him. He was there. He was drinking beer. We were drinking beer. Nobody else was drinking beer. So we had something in common.
1: You also played a gig at a giant snow castle. Where was that? It looked incredible. A giant snow castle?
2: That was one of the trippiest venues we've ever played. And I don't think I don't know if you know if we'll ever be able to do that again. It was in Yellowknife. And for the Snow King Festival, there's a man called King, aptly called King, who builds a giant snow castle every year, and they invited us to play. And where we're from, they have these traditional boots made of seal skin called Kamiks. And I've never been able to wear those without overheating, except at the Snow Castle. So it was the perfect venue for more traditional performing outfits.
1: Your favorite place, though, is the Legion, which is the most popular Legion in Canada, at least monetarily successful?
2: Yeah, absolutely. The Legion is the place. And when you come and visit us, we'll sign you in, because you need to sign in, of course. It's it's a far cry from the Legions of the South with our old veterans playing darts. It's a dance club and uh, the main music venue in town and... It's a beautiful, beautiful place.
1: What radio can you get up in Ekawauit? Are there like wave skips where you get all sorts of weird radio? Because I heard it's like the wave skips. What radio can you? Get? I know like there's the Internet, but just general radio or TV.
2: There used to be a beautiful culture of pirating radio up north, so people would just pirate a bunch of stuff. They used to just put up antennas and get everything from Britain or Australia or wherever. But now it's, uh, there's some commercial junk radio. And then there's CBC North, which is a, a major part of each community. The radio is still a big method of communication. And, uh, yeah, t- TV, satellite, we have the satellite, the usual stuff like that, but radio is, uh, is a big thing up there.
1: But are there any weird wave skips at night, you know, because of the atmosphere where you pick up stuff all the way from the southern hemisphere? I'm just wondering, just because where you are, if there's weird radio coming in.
2: Not much. It's more weird technical difficulties because it's so far damn up north so damn far up north, and there's no no weird radio skips, not usually.
1: Nancy did like a Canadian Heritage promo for Canada Day, I saw.
2: Yeah, she did, she did, she did that. Uh, I think we always have a way that our things are very normal to us, are very interesting for others. She was just carrying baby in her back. In her amautik, that's the, the the jacket that carries the baby. There's a big hood with baby in the back, and we said, "Damn, we're late on this damn promo thing. Do you want to do it right now?" So we stepped outside, and she said in Inutituk, which is our working language, and she said, "Did her intro, and that was it." And they we sent it off, and they said it thought it was magnificent. So that's kind of our story. We the things that we try and share a little bit about what normal life is like in the north, and. It's quite different, but also there's lots of interesting similarities, too.
1: And the Jerry Cans gig, Andrew, was broadcast on CPAC, I saw. Like you, normally, it's like the political channel, and you got broadcast on CPAC.
2: I know. It was a bit crazy, because I always change the channel really fast when I watch CPAC. But uh, I guess, yeah, it was broadcast on national. That was our first time on national TV, singing about how delicious seal meat was in too. So we thought that was kind
1: of cool. Where did you get that green coat that she was wearing, that Nancy was wearing? Where did she get that? It's like a that cool green coat. Where, where do you get that? I don't know.
2: Uh, I think she, uh, her aunt made it for her, actually. That's kind of a tradition is when people have kids, babies, their aunts and their grandmothers make them those uh, traditional baby carrying um, clothes. And so we have a few different ones. And that's that's a beautiful, beautiful one with nice fox fur all around the top and handmade, all handmade.
1: I guess I was curious about Canada goose coats. Are there many Canada goose coats there?
2: There are, but we can always tell when the Canada goose, it's, uh, it's a Canada goose coat, but we also sometimes call them geese because it's often the southerners that come up for a short time and they migrate north and then they migrate right back down south after after that. So they, uh, we see them once in a while, but they're kind of telling of, of uh you're not, not being from there.
1: Because there's some fake ones from China that are filled with, like, factory scraps that end up being, like, chicken feathers and poop, <laughs> and they don't work properly. Have you seen people trading them in? How You don't think they work that well? Well, you see some people that kind of move up there
2: and stay, and I maybe they got the cheap ones because they're... Uh, I, uh, they're maybe, maybe cheaper because it's super expensive up north as uh, as with real Canada goose, I assume. But well, you see them slowly transition from the cheap Canada goose to the more northern-style homemade parkas or down feathers from up north parkas. And uh, yeah, I don't know. I haven't ever smelled uh, chicken poop on um, the people up there, but maybe it's cold, so maybe the scent is kind of dampened a little bit.
1: Andrew from the Jerry Cans playing the Vancouver Folk Music Festival tomorrow and Sunday from Icolowit. Do you guys like Morrissey? I don't know. I don't know. I don't even know who that is or what that is. Morrissey, the Smiths, the gentleman that has the stance on certain animals that you mentioned earlier that you were talking about on CPAC. Oh,
2: I don't know. We don't know. We are very much happy to eat seals and whales and all of those wonderfully delicious animals, and we kind of like to start there and then worry about those other guys later.
1: Has anybody done the opposite? Like, for instance, what I was talking about, at some Morrissey gigs, some people like, eat hamburgers in protest because he says meat is murder. So they bring, like, McDonald's burgers to his gig. Does anybody bring anything that's anti-Seal to your gig just to upset you? Like, what is anti-Seal? Like, like a oh, tofu man. burger. Like, throw a tofu burger at you. Like, you should eat a tofu burger instead of Seal. Has anybody <laughs> done that to you ever?
2: Not yet, but I actually wouldn't mind at all. We have a, a recovering anti sealing protester in our band, which is kind of a complicated level, but she would probably eat the tofu burger. We all probably would eat it, but uh, nobody's done that yet, throw tofu juice on us or anything while we're playing. No, but maybe they'll get inspired in Vancouver and uh, we'll get a little action. Who is
1: Polar Man?
2: Oh, Polar Man Derek, and he's, uh, we all grew up, we remember the day when Polar Boy went became Polar Man, and he is not living in Hollywood anymore. He's moved to Kingston to uh, to improve the community down there And, uh, but he was very much a wonderful part of Iqaluit, helping people out, shoveling people's driveways, uh, helping elders with their groceries. A very, very good uh, superhero. He was a superhero.
1: Has he saved you at all?
2: He hasn't, but he's told me some very good stories. And he would, uh, he would always, we'd have snowball fights, all of us. We'd all have good snowball fights as there's no shortage of snow up there. He has not saved me, but I will ask my drummer. I think he may have uh, saved our drummer once or twice.
1: There's some interesting characters in Iqaluit, for instance, the Arctic Elvis. Who was Jimmy Echo, the Arctic Elvis?
2: Jimmy Echo is one of our, uh, he's passed away, the late Jimmy Echo, he's passed on now, but he is one of our wonderful, wonderful inspirations. He was one of the guys that was really doing performing. He had a full-on sealskin Elvis costume, and I, you find me another one of those in the world, and you win a prize, because that was amazing. He would get on stage, and he would start shaking his hips, and it was just like being in the rural states. Christianity is pretty strong. And when Jimmy Ico started shaking his hips, it would uh, be quite the controversy in these uh, small communities, 100-person communities. But he was definitely the Arctic Elvis, winking at ladies in the crowd. And I remember just seeing him and really idolizing, saying that's, that's very cool what he was doing. But imagine performing 45-minute set in seal-skin Elvis costume. you got to overheat.
1: Whatever happened to the costume when he passed away, do you know?
2: That's a very good question. We know his son, and his son and his uh, late uh, his wife, his widow, um, continue to come to our shows, because we used to cover one of his songs, and they're very happy that we're doing that to kind of keep his music living on. But I'm going to ask them next time to see what happened with that suit. I wonder, because it should be in the Rock and Roll Hall of Fame, really.
1: What is Tunic Time? It's like a music festival that started in 65?
2: Yeah, Tunic Time is uh, the, the the spring festival in the and that's a very beautiful time for anybody who's dreaming or hitchhiking their way to Iqaluit. Uh, it runs about the first or second week of April, and it's amazing. They have dog team races and uh, igloo building competitions and seal-skin hunting, comp- seal hunt- seal hunting competitions, and it's really a great time where lots of uh, springtime is gorgeous because it warms up to a beautiful minus 10 and there's still lots of snow on the ground. So uh, that's a beautiful spring festival that lots of lots of people come from all over the place, actually, to come and check it out.
1: For music festivals and stuff, there's you guys at Jerry Cans, and Nick mentioned a band called The Trade-Offs played the year before, played the Mineral Conference. Were you guys the two rock bands, quote, from Iqalowit for a long time?
2: Yeah, big time. It's still a very small scene, and it's very hard to to keep a band together. There's lots of people coming to town and leaving and having kids and this and that. So The Trade-Offs, they're our brother-sister-cousin band, and uh, they're doing awesome, too. They have a big, they have a big album uh, coming out in the next few months, and they'll be right on the Canadian scene in, few, in, in that time. But there are definitely, we're only the two bands, for sure. Such a small scene. And we always, our drummer plays with them, and their drummer plays with us, and we're all beautiful, beautiful musical incest.
1: There was a picture of a guy with a mohawk singing with you that I saw. You were playing, I think, like an airplane hanger or some dance, and there was a guy with a mohawk. Who was that? I don't know who that was but I think
2: it may have been our late friend Joey Amak from uh he was in the circus the Nunavut circus and he played in another band Kikukia which we if we came on the show we would have shared some of their music with you as well uh but yeah he was a very good friend of ours who had passed away about a year ago but he was in an up and coming band too and the little the world renowned Igloo Iglulic Circus. Igloo a very cool art town, and they have a Nunavut Circus, and if you ever have a chance to see them, they performed at the Olympics here in Vancouver, actually, but he, we would always jam with him, and uh, I think that picture is from uh, from our time jamming with our buddy, Joey.
1: And we're speaking here to Andrew from the Jerry Cans, from Iqaluit, who are playing this Saturday and Sunday at the Vancouver Folk Music Festival, the Grind and Brew. The Grind and Brew.
2: The Grind and Brew. It's the most wonderful coffee shop in the entire world almost north of 60 it's uh where my love and i nancy met we were hanging out in springtime when all the snow is melting and all the garbage emerges it's very romantic actually there's a broken down gas station and all the boats are there and the skidoo's are driving by it's right on the beach and it has the most mediocre coffee in the world but it's delicious to us and uh yeah nancy and i Met on the picnic table at the Grind and Brew.
1: Is there any competition to the Grind and Brew? Like, is there a Tim Hortons there now? Are there any chains? Any Calloway?
2: Oh yes, there's the Dirty Tim Tim Hortons, and then Starbucks just opened, so we're f- slowly moving into this commercial uh, commercial coffee world. But we're very much diehard Grind and Brew uh, loyal Grind and Brew customers, so we uh, we're okay with uh, passing on a Timmy. Tim Hortons and uh, Starbucks, we'll take a grind and brew any day.
1: What about the snack or the Arctic Ventures Marketplace?
2: The snack is also quite the, uh, it, when you come and visit us, in our world, we'll definitely do a 3 a.m. snack delivery. It's uh, 24 hours, kind of greasy spoon, been shut down a few times for different uh, questionable business activities. But uh, now it's clean and it's, uh, it's serves more poutine i think per capita than anywhere in canada probably but it's the late night place they'll deliver anytime and man snack attack snack attack that's all you got to yell and
1: when you say late night is it light all the time
2: light night yeah that's what i should be saying it's light all the time right now yep all the time right now
1: so does that mean everything is 24 hours or does it still maintain like with the snack be more happening at a different time
2: no, no, no. The day this the normal kind of nine to five E day still still runs it still runs the show in the summertime, but will be up until three, four in the morning and get up for work in the morning. Like you just have lots of energy in the snack. <laughs> yeah, around two AM when the Legion closes, uh, that's when the snack gets busy again for about three or four hours and then we and it's still bright out, so you still you still can go right to work at 3 in the morning.
1: And when you're in Ikelewit, there are no addresses? Everything is sort of like building numbers?
2: Yeah, you just say, if you hop in a cab and you say, say, where are you going? You say 346, house 453. And so all the house numbers, you just go to a house number and they're not not laid out logically at all. It's just sort of whichever... whichever development so the developments kind of happen all over the place and then it just keeps climbing up the number scale but yeah it's there they always they implemented street names now but nobody uses them and they're all kind of ridiculous names uh randomly chosen words but uh yeah so everybody just uses the house numbers
1: could you guys get a street named after you if nobody uses them
2: i don't know should we get a street name named after us jerry can's lane jerry can's Crescent? I don't know.
1: Well I was just thinking because if people aren't really using the street names, you'd be like, Well if you're not using it, just give it to us.
2: Just give it to us. Yeah, we could just replace the street signs with our own, a good promotion billboard.
1: And the buildings in Icalowit, they have no windows on them? There's a lot of there's not many windows?
2: Uh, eh, some of them. They have windows now, but like in the summertime when it's so light out, uh, it's hard to sleep. we put tin foil on all of our windows so our daughters can sleep and so we can sleep, so it's very it's light all the time and I think that was, uh, back in the day, there was a design concept that less windows would l- it let less heat escape, like it was better for heat efficiency. So for a while, there was like a building period where there weren't a lot of windows and there were some uh, some very unique buildings built. But uh, now they're kind of the technology, three-ply windows or whatever they're called. They're, 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 we're learning the way of the window.
1: There are poo pipes everywhere?
2: There's, oh, yeah, all over the place. Ah, not all over the place, but some run through town. You know, it's uh, it's a town built on the challenges of li- permafrost is a big thing. that they, it's, The ground is frozen, so all the houses are on stilts as well. And, uh, yeah, there's lots of pipes that run through town, and it's beautiful.
1: Do they ever explode?
2: I don't think there's ever been an explosion. Not in my lifetime, anyway.
1: Just with all the poo pipes going around, now, it's one of... You know, there might have been a problem. You know, a car crashes into a poo pipe, and then not only is there, like, a bent car, there's some bent poo everywhere.
2: Bent poo, bent bent car poo.
1: That's an ikaluit No, not... That's an ikaluit yep. The first permanent inhabitant of ikaluit, they actually have a name for the guy. was Nakasuk?
2: Nakasuk, yeah.
1: Yes. Is he still alive?
2: No, 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 no. Nakasuk would be very... Uh, uh, He would have passed on many, many years ago, but this one of the schools with very few windows is named after him.
1: I thought that was cool that they actually, you know, named it right, actually, the actual person that actually was the first person. I just love that. Well,
2: well, you remember, there's lots of a history of resettlement up north, so lots of times uh, families were... The place would have been a kind of spot for people to stop in the spring and summer. It means lots of fish, and so there's a few rivers around the town and we have beautiful Arctic char, and that's what's happening right now, so we're kind of missing it. But so families and would come around, and they would be semi-nomadic, keep moving around, but then it was settled. So people were kind of encouraged, very strongly encouraged to settle. And I think that's probably when Nakashuk would probably have been the first person registered to live there.
1: Andrew, from the Jerry Cans, from Iqaluit, touring bands to Iqaluit. You're touring here to Vancouver, British Columbia, Canada, playing the Folk Music Festival, the White Stripes. They actually played an arena in Iqaluit?
2: We remember it, <laughs>
1: yes. The White Stripes
2: came, and I'm not sure exactly what it was. They were doing, trying to play all of the places that I guess don't get much music. And uh, they came up and they played... Uh, and. They played an awesome arena, tiny little arena show in Ichalut, and I remember they broke a window during sound check, and they left quite an impact on all of the little uh, up-and-coming musicians in the community at whole. It was an awesome show; I remember it perfectly.
1: Were they one of the only bands that has played there?
2: Well, we'd like bands come for Tunic time and they come for the festival, but to have like a one-off show is very rare. And the white for the white stripes to make that happen. The whole Nunavut territory was instantly White Stripes fans. Like, it was so cool to see everybody was just behind them. And they put on an awesome show, and they, it was uh, a big event for lots of people.
1: But no other bands have played anywhere else in Iqaluit, like bigger bands? Like, for instance, years ago, Hole played for, like, 500 kids for $500,000 in, like, tuk you know, in the north. Has that ever happened, where bands have been flown in for like a Sailor Jerry promotion or something like that? I think I remember the Red
2: Hot Chili Peppers were up there and I remember the elders. This is what I've heard. I don't know if it's true, but I remember the, the socks were not so uh, okay with the elders because elders always get reserved reserve seating in the front row. And I remember that there was a bit of uh, tension between the Red Hot Chili Peppers playing in Iqaluit and the elders plugging their ears in the first row. But I can't confirm whether or not that's a Iqaluit urban urban legend or not
1: where can you play on baffin island where have you played in the jerry cans on baffin island any communities you mean or venues just venues communities like how many places are there like can you get in your van and drive or no not at all not at all you have to
2: fly everywhere up north that's why we're so like it's very we're super happy to be in vancouver because it's very rare that we are able to it's very expensive to get down here but there's about eight i think communities on baffin island and we have played in about four or five of them, uh, which is a major, like, that, that it takes a lot of resources to do that, and, like, we all have jobs because it's so damn expensive to live up there. Are you so flying try...
1: in versus, like, uh, in a float plane?
2: No, 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 they have jets, like, jets and little twin otters and uh, dashes, and they're not, it's not little, it's not like water landing planes, they have airports in all the communities and stuff. But still, it's just so expensive to get there that that's what makes it more challenging.
1: What's it like in Rankin Inlet?
2: We played Rankin Inlet's awesome. It's the, one of the caribou capitals. So caribou is the main, uh, mainstay there. Delicious, delicious caribou. And Rankin is a beautiful town. It's, uh, of course, the home of Jordan Tutu, the hockey star, Nunavut's hockey star. And so it's a very much uh, a sports sport. There's lots of sports there, but there's also a really up-and-coming music scene, which is really cool.
1: What's it playing like in northern Quebec? Because you've played northern Quebec too, right?
2: Yeah, in Nunavik it's called. So that's the kind of uh, the land claims area in northern Quebec. It's called Nunavik. And we've played, I think, in about three communities there. And it's so cool because it's very similar to Nunavut. Lots of the Inutituk, that's the language. Lots of the dialect is very similar, but it has this very cool French influence. And uh, the communities are the same size, lots of the same same activities, same events. And our music gets played a lot there, so people are really appreciative when we come there. I think it's like Halloween. Not many bands come through, so when they do, people are really appreciative of it.
1: Are you sometimes the first rock band that these people have actually heard in these places?
2: Not heard. There's lots of radio and lots of... Uh, like, everybody has access to the South, and people have internet in all the communities and stuff. But I think that it's cool for people to see live music, and that's the major... Uh, the, the thing that w- is really cool about the, what we do with traveling to these small communities. There's some very cool festivals and I think Nunavik is cool because Ke- the, I think that Quebec French influence also, they really, really put on lots of music festivals and concerts and really support the arts. And that doesn't always happen in Nunavut. It does to a certain extent, but, uh, Nunavik is just so cool because they always have great festivals.
1: And Andrew you also played in your band the Jerry cans or swinging to Andrew from the Jerry cans from Iqaluit, you also played Greenland
2: yes we've made our way to nuke nuke it's the farthest closest destination in Nunavut because it's about an hour and a half away by plane which is close on our terms and uh, yeah it's, it's also uh, unique in its own way because there's uh, the language is also a similar, it's a little bit different, but it's Inuktitut language based in the same kind of language family, and Nuke was very cool because it has this Danish-European influence that uh, makes it a bit of a, a very unique place to go to, but people are, our, act, our music videos about seal hunting and stuff play on Greenland National Television, so that's kind of cool, and we have a few invitations to go back there, but Greenland is also like it's, it's lots of uh, very cool things happen there.
1: For food! The North Mart is ripping us off. Go to Baffin Canners instead?
2: Yeah. North Mart, I was, uh, I listen to some bands that I, they have very poetic lyrics and sometimes I have no idea what they're talking about. So I was wanting to write a song about grocery shopping in the North because it's kind of a, an issue that's made it a bit into the news, um, just with high food prices into crazy food prices. And I was trying to figure out how to poetically express that, and I figured that we'd just get straight to the point. And the song is called North Mart is Ripping Us Off. And that's the main uh, grocery store in Iqaluit and lots of the communities. It's called the Northern Store. And lots of the rural communities in British Columbia, too. The, the Northern stores are all over Canada, ripping people off all over the place. And Baffin Counters is a little, uh, little family-run store in Iqaluit that we go to. But we've modified the lyrics playing in the South to go to your co-op. So there's a little bit of a... I don't know. I guess that's a political
1: song in a way. All ready for CPAC. Yeah, exactly. We should have played that, eh? Last uh, minute audible. Now that you're down out of Ekaluit, of the stuff you want to bring back there, what is really expensive that you could like bring a whole bunch back with you and make some money on the side? What is really the expensive item that gets you upset?
2: Well, I, yeah, it's a few things. We I, we I just went to a delicatessen. They don't have these in you Nunavut, know, and uh, bought probably sixty bucks worth of sliced ham, which I was very happy about, <laughs> and some uh, Swiss cheese, which was also awesome, but also the uh, a very expensive thing up north is beer. There's no liquor stores in Nunavut, and in some communities uh, it's all dry. There's no liquor at all allowed. So sometimes we come and stash up on beer and um, some wine and stuff, but they're actually talking about opening a beer and wine store, but that's the main thing. Also clothes, Nancy loves shopping clothes. We Food, lots of times you'll see people at the airport in Ottawa or Edmonton with giant coolers full of meat and cheese and beer and oh man, yeah.
1: How about medical marijuana? How hard is it to get medical marijuana in Icalawit?
2: Well, I think it is difficult, but not that difficult. It's, I think that there, I have a friend. Uh, a friend of a friend of a friend (laughs) who is able to order it, order it. They order it, it comes in the mail, and you get your card, and that's that.
1: Are there any psychedelics in the North that you would recommend at all, Andrew from the Cherry Cans? Like, are there any crazy mushrooms or stuff we don't have down here?
2: Again, similarly, this is maybe an urban legend, but I've heard that there's something similar to mushrooms in Nunavut, a magic mushroom-style thing. And I, <laughs> there's a few mushrooms, but there's always this competition of saying, no, you try it first. No, you try it first. So we haven't confirmed that or denied that. We don't know. Uh, they, but supposedly there's some sort of hallucinogenic mushroom, and I don't know. I, I haven't heard of anybody doing it, but it, we just heard uh, whispers in the wind.
1: And winding up here with Andrew from the Jerry cans playing the Vancouver folk music festival tomorrow, Saturday and Sunday again. Maybe tell the people a bit about your website and how people can find your music and where you're playing again tomorrow and the times.
2: Well, we, yeah, you can check it the, check the, the band out, the Jerry com. We have a website there that, uh, has some tunes and some merchandise and sweaters and, uh, Jerry cans junk. And, uh, yeah, there's a few... A link to our Facebook, too. Our Facebook is pretty active with stories and tour stuff. If you want to follow a bunch of Northerners discovering the glories of the South, we have often post pictures and stories of funny things that happen on our Facebook. And iTunes, our tune, our music is up on iTunes, and uh, maplemusic.com has some stuff there. But we always love to share our music. And I thank you, Nardwar, for talking to us. And the North is a place that uh, lots of people have interest in but don't always have the opportunity to learn about, so... It's always cool for us to share these kind of things.
1: And you're sharing it again when tomorrow at the Folk Music Festival on Sunday? What time?
2: We we have a workshop at 11.15 tomorrow, and then we have a full day on Sunday uh, of workshops and um, a performance at 10.15 on stage 5, I think it is, but we're closing down a stage. It's going to be a super fun time, and we're going to be overheating and sunburned, so come check us out.
1: Bring your fermented walrus. What is fermented walrus?
2: It's Igunak. Say it with me, Nardwar. Igunak. Igunak. Yeah, and it's it's, it's almost Igunak time, and it, uh, is, you get a walrus, and you butcher it up, and you wrap, it, wrap the meat up in its own skin, and then bury it for what I hear is about three weeks. There's Iglulic is also the capital of Igunak, and you take it out, and it will either clear a room, or it's of super delicacy, because it has a strong, strong smell, and it is delicious. And it actually, there is, not your uh, hallucinogenic, but it's, uh, it gets you a bit woozy. The fermented meat gets you a little bit woozy, for sure. And you start f- yawning.
1: And the frozen caribou is raw, too. Not too much is cooked, is it?
2: Mm, yeah, we usually, we perfected the technique of an appetizer, of delicious cut-off chunks with your axe, frozen, frozen caribou with a little bit of soy sauce or wasabi, and then you let it melt a bit, then fry it up with some onions, and it's a delicious meal.
1: Is it sort of like a Slurpee? No, it's kind of like uh
2: no 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 it's kind of like a, a steak that you don't cook. It's delicious.
1: I am Nardwar the Human Serviette. You are Andrew from the Jerry Cans. There is also a Narwhale. whale, Nardwar, Nard Whale. What's Nar Whale like?
2: It yeah, it's also narwhal season. As I was like, I keep saying it's everything season, but right now it's summertime. The boats are out on the water hunting for everything that delicious that you can think of. Narwhal, we eat the skin, the outside part, so it looks beautiful and it tastes uh it kind of tastes a bit nutty, I find, like a like a almond or cashew, um and you just you cut it up into little tiny pieces and dip it in again soy sauce. Soy sauce is the other traditional food up north and you just munch, and oh my goodness, there's people we just caught uh, up north in our community, two beluga whales, so they're eating fresh muttap, everybody's super happy and celebrating that, and we wish we were there, but narwhal is another one, and you eat, you dry the meat to make a jerky, and eat those together, and they're delicious, with the little hot sauce.
1: So Nardwar can eat the narwhal?
2: Yeah, you will, we'll make you, now, well, it's up to you, you can eat it if you want, but Bring your own soy sauce.
1: So if people are excited and want to relocate their band to Ekalowit, how much does it cost, for instance, to ship vinyl to the Arctic? Like you're a band, you've got your vinyl made, and now you want your record shipped up to where you guys are.
2: But before you do, we ordered 500 vinyls. So Vancouver, if you can help us get rid of some vinyl, there's probably 12 record players in all of Nunavut. So we ordered a bunch, and it was expensive. Oh, thousands of dollars to get that vinyl up there. And uh but we brought some down south where other people have records, apparently record players, so we 're hoping to sell it sell some, but it 's expensive, man. We would have spent about twelve to fifteen thousand dollars getting from Mihalu to Ottawa. I paid from Mihalu to Montreal for nancy and i thirty seven hundred dollars, three thousand seven hundred bucks
1: In- to get incredible yeah.
2: i think yeah it's it 's quite the uh obstacle to trying to be a touring band but that's why we appreciate it so much when people come and hang out and dance and hang out with us
1: is there a record store there is there a place for you to sell your stuff is there a cool thrift store to get old vinyl
2: no not really there's a few places to sell we sell at the the local airport store and the museum and sure like kind of not your conventional record store but uh you can get them up in but we're hoping to drop some off in vancouver if uh Anybody has any tips on cool local record shops, we try and drop them off, drop little packages off, caches, I guess, uh, wherever we go, so people, we leave our mark. But uh, no, definitely no music shop up there.
1: And Andrew from the jury cans, lastly here, is there a hole in the earth near Baffin Island? There's all that mystery about like the hollow earth and special entrances and secret caves where Nazi scientists are underground hiding out there after the war, you know, like the secret caves and stuff. Is there a, is there a hole in the earth at Baffin Island? Have you heard about that?
0: I don't know.
2: I have walked quite a bit around. I haven't noticed any holes, but maybe ask Nick from the Mineral Conference. They're making all the holes in the Earth right now. So, uh, ba boom. I don't know. I haven't seen them. There's actually there's some things up there though. There's things called Earth Eggs that uh, they that are very kind of uh, special special items you can find on land. You're not supposed to touch them because that will trigger the end of the Earth, the end of the world. So there's those, but no holes. Maybe there. Maybe that's how it starts.
1: And right now we're gonna play a selection by the Jerry Cans. We're gonna play "Kwadiri Ntutak." Ituk. Yes, here, Norway. Kanu ingituk. Yeah, perfect. What is that song about?
2: This song is about "Kanu um, Ituk means it's all good. It doesn't matter, and it's about me being a white dude trying to learn Inuktitut and how much fun it is and how difficult it is, and how no matter what happens, I'm still going to do it, because I have two beautiful daughters, and I'm going to make sure they learn.
1: And who else is in the band again, for the people that maybe just tuned in right now? Who else are they going to hear in this recording? Because you have some throat singing going on in your band, too, don't you?
2: Yeah, that's Nancy Mike, my wife. Uh, She's the throat singer in the band, and she plays accordion as well. And then we have Gina Burgess, who plays fiddle, and then Steve Rigby plays the drums, and our friend Rob, Robert Obey, plays the bass.
1: Well, thanks so much for phoning into the Nardwar to Human Serviette radio show, Andrew, from the Jerry Cans. Anything else you want to add to the people out there at all?
2: No, I just want to hope to see everybody. It's so cool to be in Vancouver. I've never really been here before. So, uh, yeah, we'd love to tell you some more about Narwhales, Nardwar. Why should people
1: care about the Jerry Cans? Why should people care?
2: I think people should care more about learning more about the North and how the North is part of Canada and what all the cool stuff that goes on up there. I think that. I was yeah. Most no, the most of the stories you hear are not so pleasant, and that's not all of the picture of what's happening in the north. So it's important to uh, come out and find out some more about uh, what happens in Nunavut.
1: Well, thanks so much, Andrew, to Jerry cans. Keep on rocking in the free world and doo do do. loot do do: doo.
0: Hello. I know you're need to. I know need to. So if you're gonna stop, I need to. I know need to. I need to. I know need to. So if Nera a sometimes get asked what we're trying to do I don't single day i don't mind i don't mind and I wouldn't have it any have it any other way i don't mind i don't mind because every time when i try to speak my sentences ain't right
1: Still listening to the Nardwar, the human serviette radio show. You just heard right there a little bit more from the native North American compilation. We heard right there Sikkimut with Ultralama Vanga. And before that, we heard from Ikalowit the Jerry Cans. And before that, an interview with Andrew from the Jerry Cans. To end the Nardwari Human Serviette radio show here today, I'm going to play you an interview I did with Dennis Hopper. Rest in peace. Who are you?
3: Who am I? <laughs> Uh, this is Dennis Hopper. You
1: are Dennis Hopper. And Dennis, you're coming to Vancouver, British Columbia, Canada. And we're talking here about what well, we're going to talk about, Out of the Blue. What can you tell the people about Out of the Blue? Well, it's a
3: film I shot some time ago uh, in Vancouver. I uh, uh, directed it uh, and also starring it with Linda Manns.
1: Uh, And actually, to intro the interview, I don't know if you heard the music in the background there, but we played a song by the band Primal Scream, because their song Kill All Hippies actually samples out of the blue. Really? Yeah, they sample Linda Manz's voice. And I guess that's what I wanted to ask you a bit about, Dennis Hopper. Dennis, what is the usual spiel that you give people when they ask you about Out of the Blue? Like, you've presented this a few times, haven't you? Were you in London recently, or it did run in London, Out of the Blue?
3: Yeah, the classic film series ran in, it in London. Yeah, I, Well, it's, it's a film that I went up to act in, and I, uh, uh, after a, a few weeks of... Uh, not being in the picture uh the production manager who produced easy rider uh said that he was closing down the production because none of the footage was usable and so i said well wait a second let me look at the footage and i looked at it and uh, it wasn't usable and uh, so uh he said uh, uh if you take over directing the, the picture uh you have four weeks you, you have four weeks to shoot the picture so anyway i did i relocated everything i recast things and uh, and rewrote, uh, wrote it.
1: And I think it's awesome. Do you and then, actually? And
3: then we were one of the one of the twenty two films in competition at the Cannes Film Festival. And Canada refused to have their name on it because they didn't like the content of the movie. So it ended up uh, uh, Linda Mans and I were introduced as a you know uh, it was a film by Dennis Hopper, not a film by a country because easily they recognize the country and, and so on. At the Cannes uh, Film Festival.
1: Oh, I'm sorry Canada did that to you.
3: Well, that, you know, it uh, was, you know, I'm sure that they, you know, I didn't make it about Canada. The subject is just, uh, uh, I just, I'm an American shooting a film.
1: <laughs> yeah. Well, it actually is a lot about Canada, because I want to thank you for preserving vintage Vancouver. There's so much great vintage Vancouver in there. Like, there's the great Canadian band, the Pointed Sticks playing there, like in full 35-millimeter glory. There's posters from local band, the dishrags. It's yeah. so neat to be able to see Vancouver. What did you think about it
3: Well, it was a wonderful time, you know, and it was a very exciting time. And Neil Young uh, uh, allowed me to use his uh, Hey, Hey, My, My, Rock and Roll Never Die. King is dead, but not forgotten. But this is a story about Johnny Rotten. Uh, more to the picture than meets the, the eye. Yeah. Was I it hard- my mind. Was But it- Anyway, uh, better to burn out than fade away. So, like you know, I, I, it was a, it was a wonderful experience, and uh, people in Vancouver. I edited it in Vancouver, also. Doris Dyke uh, was uh, <coughs> the editor. Anyway, there were some wonderful people who worked on the film, and it was uh, I can't remember the year. I think it was 80, 82, maybe eighty one.
1: Was it hard to convince Hollywood to let you shoot in Vancouver? Because you were one of the first to like, shoot in Vancouver. I mean, it had been movies. Well, fun. I
3: wasn't, you know, I wasn't, this was a, an independent production. It was really a Canadian production.
1: It was really cool that you were able to shoot it in Vancouver, British Columbia, Canada. As you know,
3: Vancouver looks so beautiful now. I was just up there recently, and uh, Vancouver just looks so great and victoria is so wonderful and vancouver island the whole area is so beautiful and i love those high new high rises that are everywhere those Bauhaus kind of shapes that are in the landscape just looks so beautiful it's been done really well it's just spaced out really nicely
1: i guess i'm kind of the opposite to you dennis where i really enjoy the old vancouver that you captured thank you for capturing that old vancouver because that's what i really enjoy i don't really like the skyscrapers as much
3: well i'm, I'm telling you i think it, i think vancouver is looking wonderfully wonderfully well.
1: And Caller, are you there? Caller? Yeah, hi. You hi, Nardwar. You have a question for Dennis. Hi, Hopper? Dennis. Yeah, um, Dennis,
3: I met you when you were up in town filming that that you know, movie, I, really was blue. Um, I was oh. a black and white yeah. punk photographer mm-hmm. and um, we met um, in the course of I guess when Neil was going to come in and, and um, do the uh, do the soundtrack I or... Oh, hold on, hold on, I'm on I'm one second, I'm
1: sorry. Okay, can you, I, can't, I can't hear. You can't hear, Bev? Can't sorry. hear me? Okay, how about now? I
3: can, I can hear, you. hear you, I can't hear the caller.
1: Oh, you can't hear the caller. Okay, maybe okay. you, Nardware, maybe, maybe you could ask my question. Okay, well, I, Bev, what, just briefly, I think what Bev was talking about was, Bev met you on the set of the movie or afterwards and you had some people up visiting you, including Coppola. Francis
3: Ford Coppola?
1: Yes, he was visiting you at that time.
3: Really?
1: Yes, he was.
3: Hmm. I I, I don't know. It's it's possible.
1: And I guess what Bev was wondering is she was asking you about taking photos on the set, on the actual set of Apocalypse Now, because you had film in your camera, apparently. Oh, I see
3: what she's saying. Oh, yeah. yeah, uh, No, I... uh, uh Francis didn't let me have any film. He was paranoid oh. like that I would take photographs and they'd get out before he had to film out. So he uh, he gave me the cameras and no film.
1: And also about Neil Young, was he involved in coming to Vancouver? Because he actually was in Vancouver, wasn't he?
3: No, I, I talked to him on the telephone. But he comes to Vancouver, you know, he was born in Canada.
1: Yes, he was born in Winnipeg. But did he come to Vancouver at all to watch you film?
3: no, 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 no. And Bev no, and if, if I ran into Francis, It would have to have been When I was editing There was nobody up When I was shooting the film And I shot it very quickly
1: We're going to try this one more time here Bev Hi can, can, can you hear that at all? Dennis Can you hear the caller now? Hi Dennis Hello Dennis
3: Can I you hear Dennis? Oh try again Bev Hi Dennis Hi You can hear me Hi Nice to hear your voice Thank you I, 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 I saw you, and it was when you were editing uh, the film, and um, I showed you some black and white punk photographs that I had taken in Vancouver. Uh-huh. I don't know if you remember, but we, uh-huh. we spoke, and, and I'm so glad that your movie is out. I saw it actually in London in 1981. so well, it must have been photograph you know like it must have been first release over there. I never saw it here in Canada until this week, next week when I get to see it. Yeah, I'm, I'm, I'm really having a hard time, but I think you said you never saw it in Canada.
1: Right.
3: Yes. I don't know that it's ever played up there. Ah, that could be. But I, I don't know. You know, the film was never really distributed. I mean, I, I went to the Cannes Film Festival, came back and, and, and took it around to theater, individual theaters, but it never was really, uh, never really had a life. Uh, it's Sean Penn's favorite film that I've, I've directed. Uh, oh. I like the film very much. Well, thanks so
1: much, Bev. Anything else you okay. like to add to Dennis Hopper? No, just thank you for calling and come back to Vancouver again. It's well, nice you. up here. <laughs> thank you, Bev. And, Bev, do do. Click, click. Dennis, what was it like working with Raymond Burr, speaking of Canadians, because he was involved with Out of the Blue?
3: Raymond Burr was uh, wonderful. You know, he uh, first of all, it was very strange because I was making this money movie with, with with Canadian tax money. I mean, I wasn't making, but the producers were. So uh, you had to have all uh, Canadian cast, and they assumed that that Raymond Burr was Canadian because he'd been born in Canada. But in point of fact, uh, it turned out that he had really uh, he'd uh, he'd become a, a United States citizen. So anyway, they had trouble with with the tax thing. Uh, all sorts of problems happened with that. But anyway, he the whole film was narrated and uh it was narrated from raymond burr's point of view about uh how he helped this young woman anyway i didn't i didn't want to do that that film so i i, I rewrote it knowing that i was only going to use him in three scenes I actually shot him doing this all or maybe like you know seven or eight other scenes that uh, we actually did in that limited amount of time uh knowing that I was only going to use the three scenes because it was going to do a different kind of picture. I didn't like narration, so I, I cut out the narration.
1: What sort of mindset were you at that time, Dennis? Because there's a famous quote from you that says, when there is a Rottweiler chained to your leg and you're guarding your last pound of coke with a knife, things are kind of bleak. Is that the way you were on the set of Out of the Blue?
3: Uh, no, not out of the blue, but uh, when, when it didn't come out, <laughs> it, I, was, I was like that for a while. There's also,
1: <laughs> there's also a great quote in the movie where Linda Mann says, Punk is here to stay. Disco sucks. What were your feelings about punk? Bev mentioned you looking at her punk photos. We have the pointed sticks in the band. What did you feel about punk at that time?
3: Well, I, I didn't feel much about it at all except that when I arrived in Vancouver it was everywhere. And Linda Manns I, I found out that she actually played drums and all I just put all these things together while I was there sitting waiting to work in the trailer. And so when, when suddenly it was my when suddenly I ended up gonna be able to direct this movie, uh, and ha- relocated everything. I, I introduced the things that I saw there, which is the, the pointed sticks, uh, the graffiti, the things. I wanted to know about it. I wanted to know what was happening. Yep. So that's the way I approached it. And, and these, these things were all happening in Vancouver at that time. So I utilized what I could find. And I realized the punk movement was like happening and uh, the dialogue and, you know, uh that was all. I got some kids from the punk scene that, that, that uh, started feeding me uh, those kind of lines, which were lines that were being used at that time in the, in the, in the, real, in the real punk scene in, in Vancouver. And so I, I, I gave these lines to Len, Linda Manns. I got her hanging out with them. And so everything, everything
1: changed. And Dennis Hopper, that pointed stick scene is amazing, where you're talking about Linda playing drums. Do you remember shooting that at all at the Viking Hall? Do you remember anything about shooting the concert punk scenes?
3: Oh, yeah, it was wonderful, yeah. It was terrific. They were terrific to work with. That whole, whole, uh, yeah, it, it went really well.
1: There's a book out called David Spanner's Dreaming in the Rain, and it's all about movies shot in Vancouver, Canada. And there's a little bit there about Out of the Blue there. And David talks about, he's a film critic for the Vancouver province, how when you were shooting the punk scenes, how some of the punks started to chant, fuck Hollywood, fuck Hollywood, and then you joined in with them by saying, fuck Hollywood, fuck Hollywood.
3: Well, listen, yeah it's a great possibility
1: yeah and i guess what <laughs> what he was trying to say was you were joining in with them saying F- hollywood but they weren't really relating to you because they didn't know who you were like you were just like another guy they didn't realize you were like an independent guy they didn't realize you were putting this together on your own cash etc they just thought you were a hollywood and it was kind of like the punks versus dennis hopper do you remember that happening that's the feeling that he was trying it's to get
3: probably it. something that i initiated so you get it on
1: film <laughs> and we have a caller. Caller, are you there? I am there. Can you hear the caller at all, Dennis? Hello. Go ahead. Hello. Go ahead to Dennis Hopper.
4: Hi, Dennis. My name is uh, Joseph Klimkew, I'm an aspiring director, and I uh, must say I'm a huge fan of you. Uh, oh, thank you. I guess my, I have two questions. Uh, the first question: uh, the new uh, spoken word piece you did with the Gorillas. Are you planning to do uh, any more of that with anybody else, or is that something that was just kind of spur of the moment?
3: Yeah, Damien asked me to do that when I was in London. I was over in London preparing a movie uh, to direct, which unfortunately didn't happen. But uh, and uh, I ran into Damien. Well, actually, I gave an award. Uh, I gave you uh, two uh, uh, were inter- introduced into the uh, the uh, the Rock and Roll Hall of Fame in London, oh, cool. and uh, I, I presented it to them. And so I saw Damien there, and Damien uh, uh, asked me if I would do this thing for him for the gorillas, and I did have you heard it yeah I, I think it's really good oh cool it just came out right yeah yeah. I was just wondering they're, if they're you... terrific I mean Damien I mean, it's, a, it's such a good uh, it's such a good scene yeah. yeah I was wondering if you were thinking
4: of uh, maybe doing a solo project I have a 14 year old
3: son who plays guitar and I really did it for him <laughs> awesome yeah. and for Damien I think Damien's terrific I, mean, I guess they're... my uh, my second question is I, I just finished reading uh, Easy Riders Raging
4: Bulls where uh, you get quoted a lot saying a lot of things. I just wonder if you're still friends with Peter Fonda, or if uh, that's not a uh, that's a relationship that's kind of done with, and if there's maybe a remake of uh, Easy Riders in the works or anything like that. I'm
3: missing part of this. I heard Peter Fonda. let not oh, see
4: if you're friends with Peter Fonda
3: anymore. Uh, no, we really aren't. But you know, um, you know, it's it's uh, it. No, we're not really. No.
1: Well, thank you very much, Joe, for phoning in. Anything else you want to add to Dennis Hopper?
4: Uh, yeah, I was just wondering, you—I uh, mean, with out of the blue, you directed and acted in it. Uh, did you have you? You know, uh, this must have been really hard to do. Is it something that you well, really actually? Enjoyed?
3: You know, it, for me, it's—it's it's not. I, I uh, you know, it's, I've always thought as an as an actor, so. Um, to be in front of the camera, you can also, like, you know, initiate things that wouldn't happen otherwise. You know, sometimes as a director, you're sitting behind the camera going, oh, man, if I was only in this scene, I would, like, you know, whatever. And then you can actually do that in the scene if you feel the pace is slow, if you feel something's not happening. You know, you can energize it and you can, you know, you feel you feel it that you go can... a different direction, whatever. Yeah, you so feel if that you're in the scene, it, it sometimes it's very helpful, especially if you think as a director.
1: I didn't think he's an actor And do 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 loot Do-do Thank you, Dennis Okay, thanks Now, Dennis Hopper What do you remember About the specifics Of shooting the movie? Do you remember all About getting kicked out Of a hotel After fighting with Rick Danko Of the band Over a woman at all?
3: Uh, I don't think I think we're mixing Two different times Maybe <laughs> You know?
1: Was there ever a fight with Rick Danko over a woman in Canada?
3: Uh, Well, Rick and I uh, hung out together. Uh, Were we in Canada? Uh, I don't know. I went on the road with him for a while. So uh, it's possible we were in Canada at some point.
1: Ladies and gentlemen, The Fabulous Stains is another movie that's going to be part of the Terminal City Film Festival. Are you aware of that movie at all? It was done by Lou Adler. No, what is the name of it? It's called Ladies and Gentlemen, The Fabulous Stains, and it was shot around the same time as your movie, and it stars half of The Clash, and it has a sex pistol in it as well. No, half of the sex pistols. It has a member of The Clash in it, Diane Lane in it, Laura Dern in it. It's about an all-girl band, The wow. Stains. Just wondering if you knew that that was shooting around the same time. No, right? I didn't know
3: that. That was the same time as Out of the
1: Blue. Roughly, within a year or so. but wow, still, was, hey. That's why it's very exciting. Like, you pose- the pointed sticks on film, like you put a real live local band into the movie. Yeah. Whereas, ladies and gentlemen of fabulous stains, they had to bring in the Sex Pistols as the band, right. which is pretty great.
3: But I think which is pretty cool. Lou Adler's cool.
1: Yeah, and the pointed sticks have gone on to very interesting things. I don't know but if you know, but their manager, Steve Macklem, he now manages Diana Krall. I don't know if you know Diana. Oh, I didn't know that. Yeah, he manages was... Diana Craw and Elvis Costello. Oh, fantastic. So the pointed sticks have really gone on to some interesting things. And also I wanted to mention to you a guy that interviewed you a few years ago, John Armstrong from the Georgia Strait. He said you were one of the greatest people he has ever interviewed right up there with V. Vincent Price. Well, that's very sweet. And have you had any dealings with Vincent Price at all?
3: Yeah, actually, uh, uh, I uh, yeah, I, my, I saw my first abstract you Well, know, he was a great art collector, and uh, I saw my first uh, abstract paintings at his house when I was a kid, when I was like 18. He had Richard Diebenkorn and uh, Jackson Pollock and Franz Kline, I'd never seen any uh, abstract paintings before. Uh, and uh, uh, his uh, a friend. Of, I, I worked at La Jolla Playhouse when I was like sixteen and seventeen years old. That's where I met Vincent. And then when I went under contract with Warner Brothers, uh, the man who I worked for was uh, was uh, uh, in business with Mary Price, uh, Vincent's wife. So I, I would see him, and uh, I used their kiln to make uh, to make uh, tiles. And and Vincent was an incredible uh, incredible man. He was a great art collector, a great uh, intellectual.
1: Speaking of kind of spooky people, how about Yvonne DiCarlo? Because she's from Vancouver, British Columbia, Canada, you know, from the Munsters at all. Have you ever run across her at all, Dennis Hopper? Now, does she, she's from Vancouver? Yes, Yvonne DiCarlo is from Vancouver, wow. BC, Canada. Yeah, I ran into her a few
3: times. She married uh, Jaime Bravo, as I remember, the bullfighter, didn't she?
1: I'm not exactly sure. I do know that she had an apparent fling with Howard Hughes, again, another guy that lived in Vancouver for six months.
3: And uh, Nicholas Ray, I believe, who directed Red Without a Cause.
1: Caller, are you there? No, Go ahead to Dennis Hopper. Dennis, pleasure.
3: Uh, listen, uh, what, is, what, what is the problem of Hollywood? Is that the money, or is that the lack of talent, or is it both? What is it, what? Right? What is wrong with Hollywood? Is that because of the money? Is that because of the lack of talent, or is it both? Well, I think you know, it's. I, I don't think there's anything wrong with Hollywood. The problem is that there's that, that there's very little distribution for 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 films, you know, for personal films, for independent films. So. Uh, no, nobody with would make these big money pictures. So, you know, I mean, some of them are good, some of them are bad. It's, it's the littler pictures that seem not to get made, and if they do get made, they have no distribution. So, I, I, you know, until there's different alternatives for distribution, which I think DVD and the Internet and so on is like, you know, some, I mean, it hasn't... Uh, Uh, become what it will become, but there is somewhere in there that there will be another kind of distribution. Uh, Certainly DVD and video opens it up for other people to be able to make films very inexpensively. Uh, It's just a matter of distributing, getting them to audiences.
1: Any other questions at all, Hans, for Dennis Hopper? Well, I guess it's only a guess. I don't know. You probably remember the bed lieutenant.
0: And uh, probably you would be the only one who could play this scene in a, in a church uh,
3: after Harvey Keitel. You, you, you know, I couldn't possibly see anybody else except you and him doing it. That was a compliment, of course. But oh, thank you, I, I, I appreciate that. I, I, thank you.
1: Well, thanks so much, caller. And do 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 loot do two too. Lauren Green, you were on Bonanza with Lauren Green. He really yeah. is Canadian, isn't he, Lauren yeah. Green? Absolutely. So you've had Lorne Green Joni Mitchell Joni Mitchell yeah. Lorne Green And Raymond Burr yeah. But I guess Neil Young uh, Neil Young And also Isn't your own house Designed by a Canadian Frank Geary Frank Geary How did that happen? Like your house is amazing Apparently It's like a studio Wrapped in tinfoil <laughs>
3: it's, it's I think steel But <laughs> tinfoil will do <laughs> uh, uh, Frank is an old friend of mine and uh, I, uh, when I came back to Los Angeles from New Mexico, I decided that I wanted to live down in Venice because I knew a lot of my artist friends lived down here. So I, uh, I bought a Frank Gehry place, and uh, in a very bad area. The architects called them the three little pigs because they're made for really cheap materials. But I bought one of them, and then, and when I directed Colors with Sean Penn and Robert Duvall, I, I bought another little piece of a uh, little. Place next door, and I tore that down and built another one and joined that up. Then I bought the second Frank Gary place and joined that up with the other place. So I have two Frank Gary places joined up with the Brian Murphy, and then I bought a place on the other side of that and uh, kept that sort of the way it was and walled it in and put in a pool. So it's sort of, uh, yeah, I've been here a while. But Frank Gary's an old friend, and uh, yeah, he's really done well. The Bill Bow Museum is incredible.
1: What exactly should people look for in the movie? Is there any sort of stuff that they should look for? Any sort of little things, particular scenes you're proud of when they're watching the movie next Wednesday night?
3: Well, you know, I think I think it's important to listen to the music because the music is like has a voice of its own, uh, you know, and tells a story of its own. And I, I think that uh, if one uh, saw Easy Rider, which I directed, uh, and think of my character as perhaps an extension of Billy character that i played in an uh, in easy rider and uh, that unfortunately it's a metaphor for the way i saw uh, you know uh, family life going in america at that time so that was my uh, my point of view
1: Do you remember any difficult scenes in shooting Out of the Blue? Like any particular difficult scenes? I was kind of alluding to the punk scene. David Spanner thought it might have been a bit difficult when the punks started getting a bit rowdy. But do you remember any difficult scenes in shooting the movie at all, Dennis Hopper?
3: No, not really. Do you have a question? No, I don't don't remember. uh... All right, it's just
1: going to be just a little bit of a And lastly here, Dennis Hopper, I was curious about the James Dean Natalie Wood champagne bath. Did that really happen? There was a famous... Well, James cha- Dean wasn't there. Oh, there, were, there. Maybe you could tell the people about that. Oh, no, come on. <laughs> it was Natalie Wood and, and some hot champagne.
3: No, it was Nick Adams and I and Natalie and a girlfriend. And Natalie always fantasized about having a champagne bath, and so we gave her one. And she sat down in the, in the champagne and didn't stop screaming till we got her to the emergency room because it seems to burn. It, that's really the end of the story
1: <laughs> it kind of burns sensitive areas of <laughs> one's body once you say that i, I would her. say
3: that this is a this is a reality so
1: for anybody out there wants milk
3: maybe champagne
1: i don't think so for anybody out there that wants to have a champagne bath go for milk <laughs> we have a caller here caller are you there hi there go ahead that's, that's a good Natalie Wood story
3: um, yeah. I'm curious with Blue Velvet how much of what you did was winging it or whether that was all scripted by Lynch that was all scripted by Lynch so there was no flex or not so much flexibility but you did what you were told yeah basically the only the only thing that I added was uh, uh, the the uh, the gas that he was that he was doing was written as helium and uh... and david had it on the set and you know it makes you sound like donald it makes your voice going high like that yeah sound like donald duck and i tried to do it and i i couldn't uh, do it and i said david you know when i read the script i thought of this as amyl nitrate or nitric oxide something that you know disorients you for a few minutes and uh... and he said what what, what 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 is that, And I said, "Well, let me show you what it would look like, you know and so i I acted it for him, and he said, "Oh, I like that, I like that. go ahead and do that so that's all, but I mean basically every line there was no improvisation in that movie hmm. uh, at all with the ones that you've handled yourself, do you let your actors kind of uh wing it a bit, or do you oh, keep I, them? I do i do and, and uh, a lot of my films, I improvise a lot, but um uh, I didn't in that, and in in True Romance, if you saw that with Chris Walk and uh, Tarantino's writing, uh, there was no improvisation in that except for, I I called him an eggplant and he called me a cantaloupe. (laughs) Uh,
1: That was... uh,